0: Welcome to the latest episode of the Noid Knowledge Podcast. I'm Meg LaRue, your podcast co-host and group editorial director of Cannabis Science and Technology and Cannabis Patient Care Magazines, as well as the content director for the Cannabis Science Conferences.
1: And I'm Evan Friedman, vice president of Scientific Cell Company and your other host here at the Noid Knowledge Podcast. This month, we are excited to be joined by Stephen Elmore, veteran, filmmaker, and founder of The Unprescribed.
0: Amid the opioid crisis and suicide epidemic, increasing numbers of veterans have been turning to cannabis as a safer alternative to pharmaceuticals. Steve's film, Unprescribed, reveals a history of prohibition steeped in racism and political motivation.
1: Today, we'll be discussing Steve's background, knowledge, and research surrounding veterans' access to medical cannabis, his mission to help others through his nonprofit, and more. Let's jump right in and expand our NOID knowledge.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today, Steve.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So we normally like to start our episodes with some background for the listeners. Can you share your cannabis origin story and how you got to where you are now? Did you think this is where your career would lead you when you were younger?
2: Well, um, a career is a good way of mentioning that. I never thought I'd find myself... uh, Living, breathing uh, cannabis, twenty-four-seven, but it became a part of my life um, shortly after I, I had left the Air Force. So I'm 20 years military retired, and um, I had a suicide attempt while I was on active duty. And um, at that time, uh, I had tried cannabis before I joined the military, but up, you know, upon joining, you were you were drilled into your head that it was the this career killer this totally evil thing that that just has no positive effects and everything and you buy into that and you you do you abstain from it but anyways after i got out i even had some time readjusting and and whatnot and um still had some ideations now and then um due to the change and um a few years out uh some veterans were telling me about work they were doing with cannabis for um, for veterans for for different types of trauma, PTSD, for one thing. And they were also talking about uh, treatment for TBI and football players. And it inspired me. And they asked me to do a documentary about it. And um, fast forward that, that documentary, uh, they didn't have the budget for it, but they had already planted the seed in me, excuse the pun. To, uh, to explore cannabis as an alternative to, uh, um, well, as an alternative to alcohol and, and opioids and other things that people seek when they're in depression or anxiety or having PTSD. And ultimately I, I wound up visiting different veterans across the country and everywhere I went, all their stories were the same and they were all on dozens of pills, a regimen of different medicines for different symptoms. And, um, it was leading many of them to think of suicide as an alternative to the pain they were going through. And when I realized that cannabis could have been something that I probably could have used to prevent my suicide attempts, I, I sort of made it my life's journey. And, um, I know there's more that we want to get into about the film and, and some of the things I'm doing. Um, so I want to save some of that for you, but, but it led me to eventually become a patient myself.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a powerful message and, uh, it's, it's very upsetting that service members like yourself, uh, give so much for us and come home to to these scenarios that are mostly untenable, and uh, the options offered to you are potentially worse than than nothing at all. Um, so I'm I'm curious how you got from the idea and And this group suggesting you make a documentary about veterans and cannabis to actually producing it,
2: yes yeah, certainly uh, so it, I had already um being a photographer background uh on my own, I had already owned some equipment and I had dabbled in in creating some veteran based documentaries and so I already had some of the equipment. And like I said, when I learned that this was the story behind this, I decided to seek it out and um, and produce this film on my own. And I wound up, uh, at first, I uh, I wanted to get more information because I, I really knew nothing about cannabis in a medical sense at all. And so the first place I reached out to was the organization Normal. And uh, I think I spoke to Justin Striegel at the time, and he didn't know me from, from anyone else and, and thought I was just another organization just looking for like a, a monetary contribution or whatever. And I told him I was really just looking for info. And so he put me in touch with the American Legion, who at the time, they were actively campaigning for, um, for cannabis, for PTSD. And it was kind of like this match made in heaven. And so from there... I, uh, I, I spoke to their, their public affairs and public outreach person and, um, I told him about the idea and he fell in love with it and he fully supported it. And he asked me how he could help. And, um, next thing I know, he shows me a, 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 a book of contacts on people he's been engaging with from senators and, and medical people and, and veterans alike. And, and, uh, he said, who'd you like to talk to first? And I said, well, I looked through it and, and the first name I saw in there that really stood out to me was Dr. Sue Sisley, who, as you know, is, is the, the, is the cannabis researcher for veterans and PTSD. And, uh, and then from there it was history. And, uh, uh, next thing I know, uh, I, she set up an interview with me. We got her on, on film and, uh, and she, she started recommending people I could talk to and it kind of came full circle because the next person she told me to talk to was Boone Cutler, who at this time was already talking to the American Legion and part of their active campaign. And so we all sort of like, we all meshed together all at the same time. It was just like this, 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 um, this envelope that, that engulfed us and, and brought us into this world together. And And so they spoke on the Hill and, and uh, I had an opportunity to, to interview them and next thing Boone introduced me to, to Josh and then Josh said, oh, while you're down here, you got to meet Mama Lutz and Mama Lutz told me about her stories and, and, and we all stayed connected and we all got the word out and we got the true stories of what veterans are actually going through post combat and how they're trying to deal with it and how they're not able to legally. And at the time we were just at the, we, this is 2017. So we were right at the peak of the opioid crisis and the VA had just yanked away some of their, their, their medicine, but they had nothing, they had no alternatives to give them. And, and so many veterans like myself wanted to, to use, but they were all worried about losing their benefits, you know, because cannabis is illegal at the federal level. And so, um, That's what got me on the road to activism now, because now I was already convinced that, yes, we've been lied to all these years about cannabis.
0: So crazy that the government is doing this. And I think your film is so, like, just powerful and moving. And anyone that hasn't seen it, please check it out on Amazon. Um, We're also going to be hosting a short screening of it, um, of Unprescribed, at the upcoming Cannabis Science Conference fall in Providence, Rhode Island. And then afterwards we'll be having a panel discussion with yourself and several other veterans. Can you share a little bit more about your work with other, ed- with other veterans and, and how, what you're doing with advocacy? Do you still face a lot of stigma when you mention cannabis and even psychedelics?
2: Yeah, <clears throat> actually, um, so I work with 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 a few other groups, and I, I try to stay engaged in the community. I think the way we explain the work we do is um, suicide prevention through through community outreach, and uh, we look at it as suicide prevention through holistic healing. So the organization is called the Unprescribed. And the uh, the name is based on the film. Meaning, at the federal level, you can't be prescribed cannabis; you can only recommend it. And so, my philosophy in the name of the Unprescribed is that we're all people. The Unprescribed are the people like you and me who have found natural alternatives to to um, to, to opioids and other chemicals that we that we consume. I know opioids are a natural plant, but the way they're processed and and overprescribed is is a problem. Um, but as far as stigma goes, I can tell you that the hardest thing is is dealing with just my outreach and getting our, our activism heard. Um, you know, you, we can't even advertise. We can't even pay for advertisements um, that have anything to do with cannabis uh, because too many um, big companies are afraid of the federal government. Um, you, you know, it's, I, my nonprofit... Uh, we can't take advantage of the of the nonprofit benefits that that come to us because we're sort of holding that in that slot there. So, yes, I definitely see a stigma still out there and um I'm finding more and more as I'm working more at the state level that um there's a lot of outdated mindsets out there and we have to change those minds. Too many people are stuck in the in in the um the lies that we've been told basically since 1970.
1: Yeah, the big lies, big problems. Uh, And, you know, they're probably being told to support the prescription of pharmaceutical drugs. Um, And unfortunately, a lot of the mental health meds, or almost all of them, the major side effect is suicidal ideation. Which, when you already feel absolutely terrible and you know neglected and used, that slotting that feeling in is is real dangerous. so it's uh I, it, i'm I'm very appreciative that there are people like you and your organization working to to fight this stigma, to, to change these mindsets, uh, I think it's very important and, you know, we, we should be doing everything we can to appreciate and support the veterans that, that have given so much for, for the rest of us.
2: Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really been, um, it, it's been a lot of work um, at this point with the nonprofit and and trying to, like I said, get the word out there about the things we're doing, especially because you know we're trying to do advocacy to save lives, and it's it's just a shame that it's shrouded in so much uh, misinformation. And um, you know, one of the things you always hear is is at least the pushback you get is that there's not enough studies. Well, it's even mentioned in my film that what you're talking about is here in the u.s but across the around the world there's been thousands of reputable studies by peer-reviewed panels that have 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 already proven that cannabis is medicine it has been medicine for thousands of years it only became um really looked down upon you know back in the 30s when we were trying to stop immigration of, of hispanics and we wanted to demonize it with the with the use of marijuana and, and that led us to the tax, you know, the, the Tax Marijuana uh, Stamp Act of 1937. And then later on in the 70s with, with, the, uh, with the drug scheduling to go after hippies and, and, and people of color. And we're still seeing it today. And I'm, I'm happy to see that they're starting to make amendments at the state levels. Um, here in Maryland, we just legalized recently. And I know that I've, uh, there's a lot of people advocating for expungement and we're starting to see some signs of that, but um, we are making progress, but the, we really need to get it at the national level. And I think you mentioned, I don't, something you said earlier kind of reminded me about what it's going to make to go away or why. Oh, it was because you were mentioning about, you know, big pharma and things. And, and there's two obstacles to, to cannabis and, um, the big pharma is, is number one. And then the other one where I'm talking about expungement and things, you're looking at, at, um, at law enforcement at the federal level. Um, they, they use cannabis as, as, a, as a target to go after minorities, and they use grounds for search and seizure and things like that. Thankfully, in our state, they, that was one of the, the top bills that they put in for passing in law, which is in effect now is now they can no longer use the smell of cannabis for an excuse to search your vehicle. Um, and I've also participated in some other activities with some OSHA-like organizations, the Chesapeake Safety Council here in Maryland, um, working with law enforcement to educate their their cadets and, and younger officers on the difference between um, consumption and, and intoxication. And we were, as volunteers, we were actually able to demonstrate our full capabilities to be functioning um, c- citizens. Uh, even though we've used cannabis within an hour or two, um, we're still very competent. And I participated in myself, and and the majority of the officers, if they did a sobriety test, said they, there was nothing wrong with me. And and they knew that I had, it was part of the pro- program was to smoke right there, and then they you know timed it and 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 did it with us before and after. So I, I I'm hopeful that there will see some change. But I'm going to continue to fight with my advocacy until we do get it legalized at the federal level. It, it's so easy to get forgotten about as more states do become legal.
0: Was that experience you just described with the police eye-opening for them that they, they wouldn't have thought that you were under the influence of cannabis?
2: For for many of the, the participants in the group, yes, it was. Um, and I even... Um, I got feedback from like i said i mentioned the cadets are the best because their young minds are like sponges and they're absorbing finally they're they're absorbing the truth the older ones were more set in their ways and they took some convincing and i was um i was told by my one of my colleagues um with asa that uh, was there with us uh, He he mentioned he watched me speaking with 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 a group of them and he pointed out that one individual was just shaking his head at everything I was saying, like, you know, yeah, bullshit, this belief kind of thing. And then um, later on, telling him he overheard him um, talking to somebody, it seems like I might have changed his mind. So, wow, I, I hope that's the case. And me too. And that's why we need more of these, more of these community engagements, like we're doing. For sure.
1: I think what you've described here with this interactive kind of, you know, spot proof, uh, experience with cadets and, and older officers, uh, I think can be very powerful, uh, and, and should be highlighted, uh, quite a bit. I heard, uh, Dr. Peter Grinspoon speaking, and he said that, um, if you look at the scale of impairment that cannabis has on a driver or something like that. It's, it's about the equivalent of taking something like a Benadryl, Mm -hmm. which nobody's getting a a ticket or a DUI for driving under the influence of Benadryl. Uh, And, and anybody would think that that would be crazy if it, if it was tried. So, you know, it's, it's about, uh, it's a matter of perspective, I think. and
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I'm such an advocate for the medical use. We, we legalized adult use here in, in Maryland just recently, but we're, we're still advocating for the medical side of it so that people could still have that understanding that, there, that we are medical patients and cannabis is just like any other medicine. It can be abused. And I even know when I've had too much to smoke or too many edibles to, that I know when I can't drive. And I make it very clear. And it's just like the same thing with, with, you know, you know, one or two beers gets you buzzed, buzz and maybe you shouldn't, you know, you need to stay put until that time is. And and that's this, the real safety message behind it. And I know that's what law enforcement is always looking for is, is, is keyword is safety. Hmm. And so I think as advocates, we need to keep things on the positive, not try to um, uh, push law enforcement into a corner, but try to bring them into our domain and get a better understanding of each other's needs. And that way uh, I know that we could work things out.
0: So um, we've seen and heard a lot of states that go from medical cannabis programs to adult use, that the medical programs and in in turn the patients suffer from lack of consistent products and maintaining a separate medical program. So I know Maryland just launched adult use this summer. Can you share anything that you've been seeing from the patient side. Or any thoughts on what we can do to protect the medical cannabis patients?
2: Actually, yeah. From what we were just talking about, it you just reminded me about um, an experience that I just had just this last month. In um, so we, we we're working with. I have a uh, a new office that we're working out of thanks to a friend of mine who who owns a. Um, medical cannabis card certification clinic. And so um, it, it, it was interesting because I was uh, on the porch getting set up for one of my grow classes. And I was talking to a young lady out, outside who worked in the business next door. And uh, I was describing the business that we worked at. Um, and and uh, it's called Gateway Health Services. And I was explaining to her that it's so you can get your, your medical card certified. And just the 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 instant remark that she had is why do you need that anymore and and my thought was well what do you mean she says well we just legalized adult use on july 1st so why would anybody want to go and get their medical card and so i mean my first instinct was like well you know there's some there's some benefits you know to it like you don't have to pay the taxes and there's sometimes you reduce rate and and certain uh extracts you can take that they can't sell on to adult use but then it really then it just kicked into me and the whole fact that oh my god if that's the mindset of of a young person right now um she might be right who who would want to get it you know it's a hassle you got to sign up for a card and and there's so many people paranoid about privacy and oh the government's going to know my information but i personally um like being a member in, in a recognized in a government, um, setting. But what I am concerned about is why I'm worried is because we just switched that governance from the department of health into basically the DEA or the, you know, alcohol, tobacco, firearm organization, the law enforcement side of it, which is what we were just talking about with, you know, with having, you know, how much so much progress we've made now we don't want to take a step back and fall right back into that trap because that's really what it is i mean when they legal put the adult use out there they made certain amendments to medical patients um but they're changing things like another good example is um the licensing for dispensaries you know the 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 um the bills and the and the literature and things that were coming out from the from the state government was was saying that uh, medical dispensaries will now have the option to get their recreational license. Well, word on the street from all the dispensaries I've spoken to and my colleagues have spoken to is no, it's been it's mandatory now. It seems like from what we've heard, all the dispensaries in the state who already existed had to get it. So I don't see how that's an optional choice. And I've noticed it changed the layouts of the dispensaries I've been in now, and now I feel like, uh, as a pentacle patient, um, just the, the the staff and the personnel and and the the whole approach to when you walk in the door is completely different. And so now I don't feel like I'm going into a clinical setting anymore. Like I'm going to a pharmacy and have a have a personal consult with somebody about the the strains that I need. I need certain, you know, try, you know cannabinoids and, 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 um, and other, um, the, the terpene
1: profiles for sure,
2: The whole full spectrum healing. It's bad enough that they've already, um, bred out CBD. And now, you know, with recreational, I'm afraid that it's going to turn into, um, just percentages. Like people are looking at alcohol percentages. I think that even the people in the fed, in the state governments who are, are going to be overseeing it now, aren't going to understand those nuances. And they're just going to look at regulating percentages and probably taxing that and not thinking about the other needs. And it's hard enough to get certain strains as it
0: is.
1: Yeah. You know um, you can, you don't have to go too far to to look and see those concerns realized uh, here in New York. Uh, there is a tax tied to THC percentage mm-hmm. and I, it, it, it kind of just shows the misunderstanding from the regulatory perspective, as if the higher the THC, the better the product, which isn't really true for anybody, even even the adult use consumer. Mm-hmm. The, the experience is much more tied to the overall profile and... And how that fits that patient in particular? Then, oh, I need the best deal, so I need the most THC for the least amount of money. That's silly,
2: right? We're not buying, yeah, we're not buying bulk generic products at the grocery store. We're not this isn't toilet paper, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. and and the, the high THCs is are spot on. I actually, um, as an anxiety sufferer. Um, the high THC must be terrible it, for you. It, it, it's actually counterproductive. It, it makes me paranoid and gets me anxious mm-hmm. and nervous. And it, it's, I can't, I can't. I actually went through a period this summer or this past winter with my depression that I just didn't have anything to turn to. And again, it's you know with, with the quarantine and everything else making it even harder. But it was just, it was just an ordeal. And and everything like you said is 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 just high percentages now and new york's a great example of what you know using is what to look out for yeah you know we're also you know uh it just seems that the wherever there's been uh medical and they've introduced adult use it it's medical has gone to the, the wayside yeah so, for for yeah, sure forgotten
0: yeah. it's scary um, how quickly too i mean like maryland just launched adult use in what july 1st and it's mm-hmm early August right now, that's crazy that you're already seeing it impact yourself and other people.
2: Oh yeah. We saw almost from day one. Yeah. So Steve, I've got, I've
1: got a little tip for you in terms of, um, essentially cutting the really high THC stuff is you can go and buy some hemp flour and just mix it in.
2: Yeah, I do that and we make a salad with it.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a it's a great technique, and that that CBD will will give you more of that full spectrum kind of body warm feeling as opposed to just psychosis potentially. Right,
2: absolutely. No, I agree, and that's what I, I have to. It's just the frustration of. You know, why do I need to, to cut this with this it, yeah. if, it, if it can grow naturally? And and the point is not to um, exploit just the THC, but to keep keep it active. You know, and, and, and we're concerned, um, you know, they might be changing the farm bill. And I wonder how that's going to affect hemp farmers as it is also. So it's something to keep on the lookout. For certain. Uh,
1: I, you know, I feel for the hemp farmers too, because they very little thought was put into how the farm bill actually rolled out and, and what would happen and everybody grew hemp and it rapidly became a commodity and nobody could make any money there. And that, mm-hmm. that was a problem too. Um, and so I think one of the best things for people to do is probably to grow their own. So Maryland, in in their adult use legalization, uh, has provisioned for home grow as well. Um, and I understand that you're growing your own and even offering classes. Can you share some of your experience around all of that?
2: Absolutely. First, let me speak on to the, the part of the, the the allowing of the home cultivation to begin with. Remember I mentioned um, they make certain leeways for medical patients. And, well, one of the things that they allowed was the number of plants. Okay, so for adult use in, in Maryland, uh, you're allowed uh, two plants per household if you're a recreational user. But if you're a, a medical patient, they allow you to grow up to four. Sounds great. But then the problem is that, first of all, it's, it's per household. Even if you have two or three or four medical patients in the home, you're still limited to just four plants. Now, conversely, um, I also like to grow in pairs for redundancy. And as a medical patient, if I'm going to be, you know, growing my own medicine, I need to have kind of a sort of a constant supply chain going in. So, you know, you have to understand the growth cycles of the plant from the from the seed to the seedling to veg to flower and then harvest well with four plants yeah you can kind of do that but if you're trying to grow in pairs now you have two in veg and two in flower well what about your your seedlings your clones or anything else like that and so you know i'm i'm holding my breath on on the legalities of what that is but i i'm i'm pretty sure anything under six inches is gonna not be considered a plant just like the so far a, a seed isn't considered considered containing any THC because it hasn't been developed yet. And so that's why you can um, buy those online today. But that's why I'm concerned about uh, the the farm bill. Hopefully it doesn't change or catch on to that.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah. So you can understand that, you know, in all reality, you need a minimum of six plants to just have that cycle going. Um, Other advocates are preferring eight or 10. Um, I get it. But honestly, then you get into a harvest overload and then you got to be careful on that because you're still limited to 2.5 ounces of possession. So um, so it's, yeah, that's sort of where we are in that aspect.
1: It's interesting. Like, um, I think through all of this, we might discover what the best cycle for a home grow perpetual harvest might look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know... The the farm bill allows basically anybody to grow low THC cannabis. In the veg stage, it still is low THC cannabis. So maybe maybe the argument can be made that it's only during the flowering phase that it's actually uh, you know high THC cannabis. Uh, and so those four plants are only flowering plants. But right,
2: And I, that's a good argument. And I think as, as an activist, that, that could be one leeway that we can work on is in the way forward. It's definitely worth considering. And they're also looking at as far as the, the, the possession amounts and things like that. Um, I was talking to a colleague in Maryland Normal, and they haven't come, they, that organization hasn't determined uh, if they want to argue for um, canopy size or plant number. Because um, you, you, when you think about canopy size, I don't want to jinx anything for anybody. So I don't want to get too far off on this talk. Of, but, you know, you can grow a plant outdoors, you know, for most of the year and grow basically a tree. Yep. But indoors, you, you 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 know, it's pretty much self-contained. And that's what I did prior to, you know, legalization. I kept it under you know, just enough that I may pay a fine or something. But I, I kept my plant small on purpose. Um, and it gave me plenty of harvest. So how how about... Let's
1: let's talk a little bit more about the classes, though. So you're you're teaching others how to grow, right?
2: Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. So beginning on July 1st, um, prior to that, I I was actively engaging uh, in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area with another organization, um, Maryland Marijuana Justice or MDMJ. Uh, They're part of the organization that actually got legalization in D.C. and Maryland and uh, Virginia as well and in both cases they did a, a free seed giveaway they call it in this case they called it the question for seed score so on july 1st um, i wore many hats and i worked with both organizations the unprescribed mdmj and and to some extent with americans for safe access my other organization i work with and uh we we were a host to a to a seed share and we actually gave away seeds on july 1st which i used to kickstart our grow classes so um, we, we call it the, the unprescribed OG or the unprescribed organic grow. And we're a, a beginner-friendly, hands-on introductory course for anybody who's curious about learning how to grow cannabis at home. And we grow it organically using a water-only soil and, and talk about natural amendments. And, and the focus is on, on the plant, the lights, and the water cycles to, to make our plants grow natural, healthy, and, and, and bountiful.
0: So cool. How many um, like students have you had come through so far?
2: Well, the the space that we're working out of, we have to. It's a very small space, so we limit it to ten per 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 class. And uh, right off the bat, we uh, before I realized how big our workspace was going to be, we had twenty five people sign up because that's what the max I set it at was. Um, And then when we did the seed share, word really got out. Uh, things are starting to trickle down now. Um, just because, like I said, it, it's 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 impossible to try to get any kind of social media or advertising or marketing out there if we mention cannabis. I even had flagged it on on uh, for a for a harvesting class, and it it got disallowed by Eventbrite because it it didn't go against it went against their safety standards. So that's one of the stigmas that I was referring to earlier which it really, it, it gets my anxiety going because now I'm like paranoid about what, how I can get this word out. So that's why, uh, it's really great that we can have this opportunity to to talk to your audience and, and, and just, you know, everything I've done has been a grassroots effort from the film to my advocacy to, to this and, and, and so on. So we, we, uh, we just depend on, on the community and, and the patients and, and, and everyone else in in the environment to help us out. Hmm.
0: If anyone wants to learn more about what you're doing or try to take one of your classes, where can they go to get some information? Is it the Unprescribed website?
2: Yep, you can go to our website. uh, It's uh, theunprescribed.org. And we also have a Facebook and Instagram, The Unprescribed, as well as you can find our event on Eventbrite. Just look for Introduction to Home Cultivation and look for our organization, the unprescribed.
0: Nice. So where do you hope to see the medical cannabis community in the next five years or so? And what do you think it will take to get there?
2: That's a good question. Um, this was a a major milestone to, to, to see legalization in my home state, uh, here in Maryland. And, um, I admit that at at some point it kind of gave us a passive feeling and that's why I I bounced back and I made the point of of saying that I don't want to give up on any of this legalization until we find it at the federal level. Now with so many states coming online, I I don't even know, we're in the forties now, I believe that have some sort of legalization. When we get to 50 states, um, We as a nation all need to stand together and make sure we get that put on a federal ballot. And so the only way we can do that is by being a collective voice and reminding people that don't be passive just because your state legalized it. You need to take that voice to the federal level because there's still um, there's still so many things tied into it being illegal at the federal level. I mean, number one, the banking problem is, is something that I know you you talk about a lot in, in, in the Cannabis Science Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing that, and I'm hoping that the Safe Bank, um, what is it, the Safe Banking Act um, mm-hmm. goes through. I don't know, I, I'm hearing it's on shaky ground or it may not go through, um, but why? You really, what's the holdup? And so it, it's just that sort of thing that's making our advocacy for suicide prevention even more difficult. Um, because we are a federally recognized nonprofit, yet it's sort of like we got our hands tied on we can't really do our full duty. So I hope that in, in five years from now, um, we get this advocacy out there to all 50 states and, and, and get some legalization. Because in the end, my goal is to mirror what they're doing in, in Canada, uh, where they've legalized it for, for veterans, and they even prescribe it and give them an allowance each month. So if they're doing that in different countries ar- around the world, why are we holding back? We're supposed to be the, the game changers in, in the medical world.
1: Yeah. Right. The the VA should have its own dispensary, right?
2: Yeah. So that's my goal is to get it prescribed by our VA and, and avoid, I mean, look at the selling point, just look at all the, how much money it's costing for opioids and other um, SSRIs and other, other drugs that these, that we all need. And, um, well, they, that's is, yeah. that's
1: that's what's holding it up, right? I yeah. mean, big big pharma doesn't want to lose that that cash,
2: absolutely. And and so I I, I do want to uh, commend the VA on making progress. I mentioned a, a few years ago they literally yanked away the opioids because they panicked; it was a knee jerk reaction, but they didn't offer any alternative. Now they're starting to do holistic wellness. Many years ago they scoffed at chiropractic practice and now it's legalized. Um, they're doing, um, all sorts of, they're doing studies with things like, like, um, ketamine and and other, um, other drugs like that. So I'm hoping that they'll eventually start looking at, I, I believe there's even been talk about, um, psilocybin to some extent. I know there is for MDMA, um, but if we can get them interested in that, why can't we get them interested in, in, in the flower, in the natural plant of cannabis, which you can take in, a, in its own natural form? And um, so my, my response to the VA is you're doing the right thing. You're going with this holistic approach. You're taking in meditation and, and other holistic healing, but you're missing one link to make it a complete circle. And that's to bring in this plant medicine and recognize it for a full spectrum body healing. Because that's what we need as veterans. We just need to be comforted and 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 put our anxiety and trauma to rest and feel comfortable about taking our medicines and not have to be afraid.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the the fear, I, knowing that there is something that is even accessible to help with. Anxiety and PTSD and and all of this and having to worry about consuming it, about the repercussions of actually treating the conditions you have. It's it, it's there's it's anxiety generating unto itself. It's it's wild and and just so counterintuitive and counterproductive. Uh, it's it. I I hope that we can continue to learn and get better and, and and do better for each other. Um you know, uh we we talked a little bit about Dr. Sue Sisley who uh has worked quite a bit with um pushing some of these psychedelic substances towards uh, FDA approval as well. And uh, I believe I saw her speak at Cannabis Science Conference earlier this year. And she talked about that. Uh, w- was it psilocybin or MDMA that that might actually get approval before the end of this calendar year? I
0: believe it's MDMA. That was the mm. research she presented on.
1: MDMA. Ecstasy. What they told us in the 90s would make holes in our brains. Right.
2: <laughs> yeah more lies and it, it's more lies. About demonizing and it! the war on drugs was a war on on people it was more about a power control and that's what we're still seeing today um but that's been historical in throughout mankind but i do remain hopeful and i do want to i don't i don't badmouth the va they're making progress and they are taking steps in the right direction um by looking into these studies and this research um they just need to to keep that focus. I know that one thing I mentioned when I first started making the film that veterans were worried about losing their benefits. We've since got laws passed that, that uh, veterans were allowed to to mention their cannabis use to their VA doctors uh, um, without any repercussions. Um, but they still couldn't talk about it. Now I hear there's, there's some talk about doctors being able to actually have the conversation with their patients about and it's, it, it's a must. If you really think about it from a clinical perspective, you have to look at it as a drug interaction, but with real hard science behind it, not just a, an old medical textbook from 1975 that says that this person's paranoid and all this other stuff because of the drugs they're taking. No, it's maybe you need to lower the, the level of, of other drugs. Um, other chemicals that you're given because the cannabis is doing it naturally, filling up our body's cannabinoid system with what we need. And we just need a little bump from the other ones. I too, as much as my, my policy is plants over pills, I am on like a five milligram SSRI just enough because the cannabis is doing the job that the pills weren't doing. Mm -hmm. In fact, other pills I was taking were making me paranoid. It was, it was, is there's, there's, there's really not enough science be, behind, um, you know, um, mental health medications. It's really right. all trial and error. Right. And my Every doctor I've spoken to, every psychiatrist, every psychologist, every physician have all said the same thing. Well, we don't know what's going to work. Everybody's body's different. We're just going to try this one and see how it does. My God, it was a nightmare this past year. I, I mean, I literally I'm had sure. shakes and things because it, they put me on the wrong shit. But yeah. That's why we need to get this, um, we need to have VA doctors be able to talk to veterans about their proper use of all medications, natural or or Mm man-made.
0: And even like for veterans that are like fully disabled, then cannabis isn't covered, right? So, I mean, you go to the VA for everything, but then you're paying out of pocket for cannabis. So it would be great to see the VA offer it, like Evan was saying, and even like what they're doing in Canada, just, yeah. you know, give them access I've, and cover it.
2: Yeah. Most of us are, are, are a lot of the younger guys, well, just a lot of us are on fixed incomes. We, we can't afford it as it is. Um, the VA will give us all the pills we need, but we have to pay for that. And now we're seeing, um, I'm hearing word on the street that even dispensary prices are starting to go up now because of adult use. And I guess it's supply and demand, inflation, whatever. But the fact is that it's still, it's a decision. Do I put food on my table or do I get my medicine? You know, that's always been a long running, you know, debate.
0: That's horrible. Shouldn't have to be that way. Mm Mm-mm. Um, One other thing I have a question about is in your film when you, I think it was Boone Cutler who talks about how he was so against it and he was, he was offended when somebody suggested that he try cannabis. Do Mm -hmm. you still see that with veterans or are they more open and even not just veterans? Like, you know, I think law enforcement, people, people that have trauma, are they hesitant or are you seeing people more open-minded about it?
2: I'm seeing a lot more changed minds. I think the, the, the general public, you can see it in the voters. You can see it at the polls. With, with all these new laws coming into place, more and more states are coming on board. Um, it's younger people understand it, but um, there's there's still veterans out there that will never that are never doers. And, but I've seen plenty of them. I've even gotten emails from um, from Boone or screenshots from texts he's received from veterans saying, "Oh my God, you were right." Thirty years I've been, you know, on these other pills, and I tried that, and now I'm completely off of all of them, and I'm glad you, you know, you inspired me and made that difference. So that's why we continue to advocate and continue to get the word out. And honestly, um, it's real interesting because when I go to the most dispensaries, it's it's mostly older folks. And in fact, in the grow classes that I've been having, every class has had somebody older than me, and I'm, I just turned fifty three this month. And and so it, it's great to see. And and when you really put your mind to it, and this is probably a, a good way to come full circle And everything, is these are the same people who were protesting. These were the hippies who we went after in 1970 to create the federal schedule in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that they're all coming to me and asking me to teach them to grow. And so it, it's a really warm feeling to feel that I'm, I'm changing lives, young and old.
0: Yeah, that's great.
2: Hey, I
0: mean,
1: the best you can do is leave, leave the earth in a better state than you found it, right?
2: Absolutely. And that, that's even the, um, a, a motto that they use in the, in the military. I say they because I deployed with a lot of army before, um, but their philosophy is is wherever you go, leave it better than you found it.
1: You I, I, I think that's, that should be a universal truth that we, we all try to live by.
2: Yep, and so that's what we're doing today. I was born into this world in 1970. I was there at the start of it, and I'm I'm excited to see it coming to an end. And uh, I hope I see it get federally le- legalized in my lifetime. I know I'm only halfway there. I'm going to live to be a hundred.
1: Well, I I hope so. <laughs> I hope so on on all accounts.
2: Um, that's that's, that's my uh, that's my positive life moment for for my suicide prevention outreach.
1: Yeah man, you know, I I think back to high school and like getting probably some of the worst cannabis and thinking, "Oh my god, this is never going to be legal. This is insane." And so like the the amount of change that's happened just in the last, you know, 20 some odd years is is incredible, and I I think, you know, it'll happen. Even even if it's not as fast as we would like it, it's it's happening. And, and we got to keep fighting. It happens because people, people like you are making it a point to, to take on this mission.
2: You and that's what it's become. This has really become my life's mission. I still work actively um, with veterans in my full-time job. And I do this in all of my free time. It's, I I live, breathe and, and, and sleep um, veterans and, and mental health mental wellness it's uh it's personally healing for me it's my own therapy and you know just like the grow class it's 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 something that you know i guess parent, it's a nurturing instinct and it's just like i grow my plants i give love to them and i and and they give back to me and you know by teaching these classes i'm able to give back to my community and inspire others to to teach others It, it i use the teach a man to fish philosophy and that's because it was passed on to me by a fellow veteran who taught me how to grow cannabis, and so I'm just I'm just bringing everything back full circle that 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 inspired me and that's kept me going, and um, and hopefully this can inspire others to keep going and, and never give up hope. Just to realize it, keep breathing life and into your plants and into yourself.
1: Yeah, for yeah.
2: sure. So,
1: I think that's uh that's a pretty good place for us to to start wrapping up. So, uh where we've been ending lately is uh what are three books or studies or educational groups you'd like to recommend to people to expand their cannabis knowledge?
2: Well, I would say um I'd like to encourage everybody to follow the organizations that I'm closest with. And the three of those are Americans for Safe Access. I'm also the uh, veteran outreach coordinator for the Maryland chapter here. Um, Veterans Initiative 22, they're a, they're a cannabis activism and suicide prevention group, just like myself here in Maryland. And then my mentor um, up in Canada is an organization called Veterans for Healing. And so those are my three organizations that that bring our trifecta together and then don't forget to follow us, you know, our organization, the unprescribed for uh, inspirational um, suicide prevention. And we're just here for you. Wonderful. Uh,
1: Is anything else you'd like to add?
2: Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing you guys in Rhode Island. Um, If you can come out, please check out the film. I think we're going to do it on opening day. And uh expecting a really good turnout, and we're going to have a display out there, so please come by my booth and make sure you, you talk to us about our advocacy. It's going to be great. Yeah, can't wait.
0: All right, well, thanks so much for being with us today, Steve. We appreciate all your knowledge and your passion to help educate the cannabis community and save lives, really. I mean, you're really doing the work on the ground, helping people.
2: Thank you very much. I'm really happy for, for, for being here. Thank you.